Hello everyone, just a quick uh, disclaimer before this episode starts. Um, there was a slight issue audio-wise on Matt's behalf, so it does sound a tad bit muffled, but apart from that, it's still all good. Hope you enjoy the show. And welcome to the That's a Rap podcast, the show where we, me and Matty P, wrap up the latest films that we've seen. I'm your host, Joe Downey. And I'm your co-host, Matt Parkinson, or Matty P. <laughs> In my notes, I've written down, <laughs> I'm your host, Matthew Parkinson, because I forgot that it was last episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we, we, we co-hosted in a different audio last episode. The date of recording today is the 4th of December, and the time of recording is 4.08pm. Uh, remember to follow our Instagram at TAW Podcast. That is TAW Podcast. If you ever want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open over there. You can also check out our Facebook page if you want to type up uh, That's a Rap Podcast or TAW Podcast and make sure to give us a like and a share because it really he- helps out the show. We are also available on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio, Public, Overcast, and Apple Music. So make sure to give us a follow on those platforms and leave a review where available as it really helps out the show. Also, download the episodes when you can. If you'd like to keep up to date with the latest films that we are watching, both in and outside of the podcast, you can check out our episodes uh, at our, our letterbox page at Joe Film User and Clappy P. I'm very rusty, people. But, no, you still got it, man. I was just <laughs> going to say, like, after two months, you still have it. We're, follow us because we're the most consistent uploading podcast ever, 100%. <laughs> Well, like, how up many to date. Done? This will be number 15, I think. Yeah, of this whole year. So. In a year, so that's a little bit more than one per month, I think. Yeah, which is, yeah. And considering I, we've been working a lot, it's, it's healthy. Yeah, you can argue that we're giving people time to watch the films, or, or ourselves, <laughs> I guess. But Yeah, it's mainly you know, ourselves. It's, you know, I'm, I'm at uni, and Matt's at, uh, at home, and, yep. you know, we've diff- we're not in the same room anymore, so we're not as, as consistent, but, you know, we... Mm. we we're about so you know i think we only um, did the first three episodes in the same room didn't we that's true yeah yeah, yeah. So but that was when we were still at uni one. so we could still meet up and stuff and exactly. have somewhat of a schedule yeah honestly we've been through the through the ringer with with the recordings because it's like <laughs> both both in person then here and then, and then you in the dif- isle of Wight, then back in yeah. bournemouth it's been different we- through Discord, Google Hangouts, the whole the whole show shoddy wi-fi <laughs> it's been interesting Ah, oh, there's it's the Lomax one where it's like I couldn't see Lomax at all because Discord was messing up, <laughs> and I I think that that inspired us to go to Google Hangouts instead, and now Google Hangouts is fucked up, so we're back to Discord, madness, mad behind the scenes stuff madness. that that is advised that you never talk about apparently because it apparently alienates viewers, but you know I had to set up a new Discord account. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we should say why or not. <laughs> I, it's not a big deal. It's just I had an old account. I forgot the password. And no, no, I mean the reason why our account names. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just taking up airtime. I think, but basically, yeah, nah, yeah. It, to, Maybe in, in a really sp- <laughs> well, I, I can do it in a really oh, sure, small, in a really really tiny nutshell. Uh, over the first lockdown, fucking hell. Uh, yeah, England's had a bunch of them. Fun mm-hmm. times. Uh, we played a a version of The Circle, and The Circle is a TV show uh, in England, uh, kind of like a not a game show, but like a. It's like Big Brother meets. Um, like, uh, take me out. 
Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Kind of, I and, don't know, something like I that. I don't know why they're not recording a season at the moment, because it's the most, like, apt thing for this environment uh, with social distancing and whatnot, because basically they're put in different rooms and they can't see each other and they all chat online anonymously. So we did our own version of that where you have to guess what people who people are and whatnot. And I, I was Howard Ratner from Uncut Gems and you were an old lady called, uh, called Joanna. Joanna. Yeah, it was our personas <laughs> that we set up. And yeah, yeah. We didn't, it didn't go very well. Like, we kind of nah. gave up quickly. And everyone just <laughs> told each other who they were. And it was I'm, boring, I'm really but... bad at lying. That's why I can't, and that's why I can't play poker. And apart from also being bad at maths, but like, I thought I was doing like a double bluff by being Howard Ratner because it's such an <laughs> obvious thing with me. With yeah, because it was gems, a joke but... I made, wasn't it? It was like, okay, let's not make this obvious because if someone's Howard Ratner, <laughs> we'll know who it is. And it, yeah. yeah, and I saw through it. <laughs> Honestly. But yeah, so today, folks, we're talking about the subject of uh, comfort films, films that bring yes. us comfort, wholesome films that are sorting us out at the moment. And, you know, that's part of the reason why uh, these this subject came up, because, you know, we've been watching a lot of heavy films. And in, in all honesty, in this climate at the moment, a lot of people are watching films for comfort and to feel better. And I know I have and, and other people as well. So we thought, you know... Let's talk, let's talk about out. light viewing, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, let's just quickly go into some honourable mentions, some ones that people go to uh, outside of the choices today. Um, so ones that are mentioned to us on our Instagram, TAW Podcast, hit us up, uh, were, uh, funnily enough, like Hallmark Christmas films, <laughs> like those like Lifetime ones. Yeah. Uh, Steve Jobs, funnily enough. Uh, big up Hockaday. I think he just likes that dialogue, sna- far snappy dialogue. Like the uh, Social Network, I guess, is one of his favourites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I can hear a ringing of your light. There's like a ringing in your room or something. Can is you that... hear a ringing? No? Creepy. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. Um, what were some other ones? A Wizard of Oz. Adam, uh, Adam, I think, said Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I'm sure Kieran said one or something. But there were some others. Uh, yeah, Wizard of Oz is a, definitely a good one, I think. Um, mm. Everyone goes to Ghibli a lot, I see. Yeah, that's um, a common one. And what, what ones do you go to, usually, outside of these ones? Because uh, it's, it's rather subjective, but like, yeah. Uh, the, the ones we're talking about are often <laughs> a good yeah. comfort watches, I think. Yeah, Ghibli's good. Uh, just like classic Pixar from like, like yeah. 2000s yeah. Pixar is good. Um I'd say Big Fish is one of them, because we were considering that. Oh, yeah, Big Fish. I saw that for the first time earlier this year. I really liked it. It's, yeah. It's a good yeah. Um, I'm running out of <laughs> what other ones there are. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, so just... Oh, Paddington 2. Duh. Paddington 2. Yeah, obvious one. <laughs> Which is, uh, has been announced that it's a part of BBC's like Christmas f- showing schedule, which is very odd. Like, the, it just... Yeah. They release with the, with the 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 timetable like the itinerary they release. It just proved to me that you don't like tuning into satellite TV is so like redundant now because like <laughs> I can go watch Paddington Two on Amazon Prime. I don't need yeah. to tune in for to it. I like and I think they've got Coco on there as well and just like not really like Christmassy films anyway. But like it's not like <laughs> other like films, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but I like, suppose they won't always be on Prime because things that's true. go off that's and true. on them all the time, you know. So it's, yeah. you're always on your toes. Like, I I don't own a TV anymore. Like I don't I don't really I only use the TV, or like any like if I watch TV, it's anything through a streaming service basically. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. Most I of just, what I've been watching lately has been via streaming. 
So. Yeah, I just I just thought it was, it was an odd thing. I, I don't know how it's going to be this year. Well, obviously with everyone at home and whatnot, but yeah, yeah. So should we <laughs> should we go into today's? Should first we dive film? in? Uh, dive just in. just as a preface, I I I ran into the house not too long ago, and I've half eaten not even half eaten a meal deal. So I'm I'm very prepped today. <laughs> but you know. We'll take it light, like, yeah. We'll take it light, like uh, just like our theme today. So our first yeah. film today is drum roll. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> fantastic! It's, it's in the title. They know it's fantastic, <laughs> Mr. Fantastic Fox. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. They don't know the order, Joe. Don't. Be so <laughs> well, I mean, ah, <laughs> oh, no. I need to pull up the Google synopsis. Do you have one? Fantastic. No, I I don't have one on me. But <laughs> okay, give me one one moment. Okay. Mm, Wi-Fi. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Mr. Fox, a family man, goes back to his ways of stealing, unable to resist his animal instincts. However, he finds himself trapped when three farmers decide to kill him and his kind. It's pr- pretty apt. Yeah. It's pretty on. Yeah. You know, Bogus Bunsen Bean, one fat, one short, one, one, fat, one lean. lean. These horrible crooks, both different in looks. None of Let's e- talk about mean. the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is a Wes Anderson film written by him, Noah Bombach, and someone else. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name. Uh, a guy. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is an adaptation of the Roald Dahl book of the same name. And yeah, when was the first time you saw this film? Oh God, um, I saw this film years and years and years ago, I think. Mm. I remember uh, my sister saw it before I did, and she described it as weird when she first yeah. saw it and I saw like bits of the trailer and everything and yeah I, I agree that it was very it's an oddball film and it, I, it really yeah. is like especially because <laughs> I, I watched this as a kid in the cinema like obviously never seeing a um, Wes Anderson film before so I was like this is yeah. a very odd like I'm used to like I don't know just dumbness oh. like yeah <laughs> like and yeah I'm seeing all this like symmetrical stuff and no, they're saying I, the word cuss a lot and I'm like what's this I, like, yeah I didn't know what that meant it's very ahead of its time I think and it's yeah. very kind of well it big. didn't make any money the first time I think really that, did it lose money yeah because it was just like uh some there was a video where it's like talking about it 10 years later and mm. it was released around the same time as Spike Jones's version of where the wild things are and they're oh, both yeah. films that are like adulty versions of a kid's uh, uh, IP, yeah. And it's just like, oddly enough, that doesn't make a lot of money because it's you know even though it's trying to, c- to cater to adults in order to get them in seats, it's you know, it ends up like kind of shutting the kids out a bit, I guess. But like I th- I'd <laughs> it's, say it's that's tricky, more the case yeah. with the other one and not Mr. Fox, but yeah. It's a very quirky film, obviously, with it being Wes Anderson and whatnot, but like, yeah. this film is just the epitome of comfort films. It's, it's great. So I had written down here my first bulk of notes. I think it is probably <laughs> my favourite uh, Wes Anderson film of the yeah. world, because I've seen all of them now over the course of my life, and <laughs> I would say, like, I'd, with a lot of his films, they're really great, but some of them do, especially his earlier ones, I think, sometimes struggle to balance the sort of quirky, idiosyncratic dialogue that mm. Wes Anderson has and the stoic performances, they struggle to balance with, like, the emotional beats being delivered correctly, right, I right. think. It's like films... Like, I mean, I don't want to name them, but some of the earlier ones, I think, struggled a bit. There's bits where you're not entirely sure how you're meant to be feeling. It's a bit awkward. Mm. It's a bit kind of, oh, what, what's going on here? But I think this one, this and maybe Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. are ones that 
all the emotional beats fit correctly i think it's never kind of there there isn't an awkward moment everything feels kind of it it's running very smoothly i think i don't know if you agree De- you know definitely i think this and fa- uh, grand budapest hotel are like great companion pieces for like just yeah. his 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 way of like comfort uh, of comfort films so i can hear my washing machine go off um <laughs> what i want to figure out right because there's obviously I feel like for us there's some apprehension with doing a Wes Anderson film because it seems like such a film bro-y thing to pick. It's a very basic white guy thing to do. <laughs> but what what is it about Wes Anderson films uh, that, you know, create this level of comfort with viewers? Because, like, I, 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 haven't, I haven't met, like, one person that doesn't really like a Wes Anderson film. And, like, even though, like, some of them are a bit arty, like... You can show them to pretty much anyone, and they'd have somewhat of a good time. Especially this in Grand Budapest. What is it about those films that create like these nice, wholesome, or especially with this one, autumnal like vibes, for lack of a better word? I think yeah, it's. I think largely it's to do with the uh, the visual aesthetic of all of them. They're very sort of pristine and very mm. well crafted. Like they're they're very like the action set pieces in this film and a lot of the framing is very symmetrical and it's like in all of his films there's symmetry mm. and there's sort of very good use of colours and you know everything feels very intricately built and I suppose that's kind of, it's satisfying to look at I guess isn't it? Yeah, It's like yeah. you see on the, online those sort of satisfying images of like yeah, the thing it that definitely, fits yeah. in another thing and I think you know that Wes Anderson does that very well you know everything in the frame feels like it's in the right place and it's like a little doll's house and everything is just oh yeah where definitely the dollhouse vibe and i think you know that that appeals to people you know yeah, every yeah. the sort of like everything being in the perfect place and i think the sort of the way he writes his films as well is very appealing to people the sort of um the quirky humor is you know it's it's unique but it's not standoffish i think people right. can relate to it the characters uh, I think mostly it, pretty relatable. Yeah, I think like he does fall into his own tropes a bit. Like it, there's a yeah. lot of smarmy characters that are, like correcting at someone, similar to Charlie Kaufman. But like, <laughs> um, oh, where's my point going with this? Uh, but with this one, it's it's definitely more accessible. Um, even though like there are elements of the film where it's like, oh, this is kind of like not for kids. But what I'm what I want to ask basically is like, do you think this is like suitable for kids basically yes yeah as someone who was a kid when they saw it <laughs> look at me i'm fine uh no I, honestly i i do think it's suitable for kids it's interesting because um i saw this film and then shortly after that i don't know how soon after that my dad read me the book right the fantastic mr fox book and it is damn know, it how is... old were you when you watched <laughs> I, I can't remember i because I I I, I definitely had, had it read to me before before the film came out because I was it obsessed with Roald Dahl. It might have been just after. But... I don't know. Damn. That, when did yeah, when did it come out? Jeez. Two thousand nine. Hey, Jinx. When it came out. Damn. Ten years old. God blimey! It's so long ago. It aged. Yeah, it it's aged really well. <laughs> it it has, hasn't it? When you don't realize how old a film is, that shows. <laughs> yeah. This is. Uh, I think. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying to uh, my dad read me the book, and there are uh, differences between the book and the film. I think, yeah. um, you know, obviously there aren't the sort of adult themes of identity and family and responsibility as much in the book. From it's, what I it's remember. a very good know. case of like expanding such a small, like yeah. property into 
because like you know stuff like the hobbit or like where the wild things are it's like these are very small things that don't necessarily need to be stretched out whether it's this one yeah yeah, with this one it does it really well and you know wes anderson being involved with it means you can enjoy it on some other level but like yeah um this is like his first proper like uh jump into stop motion films he had done a bit of stop motion in life aquatic yeah yeah um I think uh, out of the two proper ones that he's done, it's the best version. Um, oh yeah, like, I would I, say I, so. I don't well. know what it is about Isle of Dogs, but I just I can't stand it. It just doesn't. I'd, I've I'd only watched it once. Episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> there's something about this one where it's just got so much like within it. it. There's like it's got certain qualities to it where it's like it feels like you can like not reach out and touch it, but like there's textures within it that are really nice just due to like the different materials they use within the stop motion like it mm. and you know it, it, like kind of relatively cheap looking like uh, when there's like smoke it's literally just like some cotton and like <laughs> it looks so nice that way and and with them because they recorded the the voiceover outside and whatnot and it somehow works within the film it doesn't feel like unprofessional or whatnot just everything feels i don't know why i want to say palpable that sounds pretentious <laughs> but like do you know what i mean like there it is... feels very tangible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got vibes, exactly man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think like you were comparing yeah. it to Isle of Dogs. I think a lot of the reason why I also think it's better is it does come down to story, I mm. think, and how it uses its themes. Because I think Isle of Dogs, I've seen it a couple of times now, and I won't go right. into it because it's for a different episode. But I don't think it's as well realized as this film. Yeah. I think it deals with various different ideas, and there are characters who come in and leave. Yeah, yeah. points and it doesn't feel like they're fully developed whereas in this film Fantastic Mr. Fox it does feel like there's a lot going on and there are lots of characters but it does I think all service a theme and yeah. a sort of moral story that is consistent throughout yeah. the film. It's just like I said earlier it's just it's such a nice autumnal film I think because yeah. like we were approaching this topic close to like the beginning of autumn and like I think this film is like the perfect autumn film, but like it still yeah. works within any season. Um, this is, the score is so good. I love the score. Yeah, I had a note about the score as well. Yeah, like, I liked the score. Is great. Alexander Desplat. Oh damn! Did I didn't. Score. I didn't know it was him. Wow. He did. Yeah, and he was. He got an Oscar nomination for it. And um, I had a th- note here. What? Where's my note about the music? Ah, oh yeah, here it is. <laughs> it's just all very uh, whimsical. Just about how it stays faithful to the original little rhyme in the book, the Bogus Bunsen Bean thing, it maintains that storybook feel while still elevating it to a like a cinematic level. There's like this heavy instrumentation, but it doesn't feel yeah, you know, overbearing. It it's very well done and well balanced and it's very memorable like, as well yeah, as Like I, I listen to it outside of the film. Like I, yeah, so do I. S- similar to a film that we're going to speak about later on, but I just find myself like doing certain melodies of the of the film just to myself. Where I was like, doom, 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 doom. Oh yeah, doom, I, doom, I do doom, as well, doom, doom, and doom. I feel like you know every twenty-something-year-old yeah. white guy film student <laughs> probably does as well. Oh no! Oh, I'm writing an essay, and I'm going to yeah. listen. To... No, it's you know, it's it's just it's, it's so good. <laughs> also, like Wes Anderson always has a great cast, but like this one. Yeah. I just, there's something about this one which is like every character uh, every actor just fits their character so well like even Wes Anderson has like this little like uh, real estate agent <laughs> it's like <laughs> and the, like the little cameos work and they don't feel too self-indulgent or like tropey mm. whereas they're kind of feel, feeling like that now where it's like oh we've got to have 
Owen Wilson in this scene, whether it's oh, this look, one. John Oliver's playing a Smurf. <laughs> what? That's a real thing. What? John Oliver was in the Smurfs film. It was a joke. Oh, was, I, I was like, was, I, did, I thought Wes Anderson was doing a Smurfs film. No, no, I was no, like, no, ah. no. I was just, you were talking about animated right. films in general. And sure, just like yeah, yeah. The use of voice actors, yeah. But no, like, do you know right. what I mean? Where it's like certain <laughs> Wes Anderson films coming up or like after this, where it's like, oh, of course, we've, it's, it feels like a checklist. Whereas yeah. this one, like, there's there's actors that haven't appeared in other ones, and I guess that helps it out. But like, even with like the repeated players that are in this, they fit their characters really well. Like, like uh, we were talking off off camera about Bill Murray within this one, yeah. and this is probably his most energetic role since yeah. Ghostbusters, probably like. Yeah. And I think it's partly because you can't see who the actors are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's like they they're not putting a face on screen and saying, "Oh, it's Willem Dafoe." No, there's they're, they're there's actually, like one tiny yeah. nitpick I have with the voice acting, but it's only when you're like aware of, you know, stop motion and whatnot. Is that, or, or like. I guess the actors themselves, where the the mouth, the mouthing looks very choppy, but that's you know the animations, like the the stop motion. Yeah. So it's like neither here nor there. But like, I think that the performances in this are great. George Clooney just does oh, his job yeah. really well. Blumen Willem Dafoe as Rat, <laughs> like even though he's doing like this weird accent, I'm just like, oh, Chef's kiss. It's so good. I really liked uh, Jason Schwartzman as well as the yeah. son. Usually, I usually really I funny. find him quite annoying like even in like Grand Budapest Hotel I, I, I feel like he's doing a cliche of himself like I just watched Klaus the other day and I was like this is a really good David Spade as Kuzco impression yeah right <laughs> whereas in yeah. this he's he's really good at playing like this this like annoying little kid that's like upset with everything yeah. and like whatnot there's I can't remember the actor's name but the the guy that plays ah oh, what's the other the cousin the co- oh, Christopherson. Yeah. yeah. I always thought I, that was Jesse Eisenberg, but it's I not. I thought it was Michael Sarah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're the same. same They're a clone. <laughs> but Jesse like, Sarah. But it's not. and I It's d- not. It's some other actor, but he's very good at yeah, it as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I enjoy Also, Ky- just, Kylie. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've just got he's, as a note funny. for Kylie. It's just like, why does Kylie end up living with them? It's never explained. Like, one night, he just is it living in the house... His character <laughs> in the whole film is interesting because he's basically the scenes, audience, right? Would you all say all of his scenes are like both not integral to the plot and also absolutely integral exactly. to the plot? Like all of the funniest dialogue, most of the funniest dialogue are the interactions between him yeah. and Fantastic Mr. Fox. But it's like all of his scenes are almost like asides where they're like they're not related to the bigger content. Yeah. They're kind of just like little But like good setups as well, scenes. especially when yeah, like yeah, the yeah. constant mentioning of, of wolves and whatnot and what that means later yeah. on and I just I love Kylie. I just don't know why he's <laughs> and his living with them. Credit card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like I've just got good I credit. Have good credit. <laughs> <laughs> and like he's just yeah, like eating uh, minows. Is it minow minows? Yeah. Uh like Minnows, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, weird little like similarity is that this and Rango both have characters that dissociate. <laughs> it's like Beans and and um, Kylie just for some reason. Oh, yeah, they just kind of zone out. It's like I, I I relate to them so much. <laughs> Rango's kind of Wes Anderson-y. Yeah, I I throw funny. Rango within the comfort film category, even though you know it's a subjective thing. I I yeah. I yeah I throw that in there. This film in general, yeah. like. Usually I rewatch films with with a lot of time in between them because you know I've just seen them whereas I've rewatched Fantastic Mr Fox like two or three times within a couple of months um mm. 
just because it, it, it it's such a it's a film that makes it cheers you up so much and like the music and, yeah. and like I said the textures um I feel like I'm repeating myself but you get you, you get what I mean um <laughs> yeah I get exactly what you mean yeah um going on with the the kids film debate right this is a mm-hmm. I think you know kids films do this but like this film is pretty rude at times yeah like obviously the cusp bit kind of gets away with you know, it teeters the line a bit because they're deliberately mm. saying cuss instead of swearing. But, like, yeah. there is a bit where Willem Dafoe slut shames Meryl Streep. Yeah. I'm like, what? That would only... <laughs> it's like, how did, how did they get away with that? <laughs> they got a PG rating, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, it, yeah, that kind of went over my head when I first <laughs> saw it. I, get, I can't remember how old I was when I first saw it. I have, like... Like yeah, kids aren't gonna scattered memories yeah. of seeing this at various ages. Like I think I saw it, I don't know when I was at secondary school, right, right, maybe at primary school. Uh, I've got this film on DVD at home. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so good. Like, um, it's, yeah, like I other comfort films tend to have this quality as well. Like the Ghibli films, especially where the food in the film looks so good, and you just wish. Yeah. Like I wish I could have. Uh, is it? Whose cider is it? Bean cider. Bean cider. The cider, yeah. Oh my, it looks so nice. Or like, even just the apples with like the painted gold on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd eat blooming, what what is it, squab? I want some of Bunce's uh, ready-made donuts. Yeah, even if they've got liver in. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) They look appetising. And like I said previously, again, sounds like I'm repeating stuff, but like the voice acting, like Michael Gambon... (laughs) needs to be talked about more in regards to this film because he fits the villain so well and like he's got such a nice like bassy voice and like the comedic timing with it as well like <laughs> there's a bit where Flippin Jarvis Jarvis Cocker from Pulp I believe or some sort of band is just singing a song and he's like you wrote a bad song PT <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> it's such an unexpected moment but it, it works so well and like yeah, he, it's, it's inter- I did kind of forget it was Michael Gammon because I've only seen him in like sort of nice, right. cuddly roles yeah. almost, or not cuddly, but like Paddington Two, <laughs> Paddington Two. Uh, like he was uh, obviously Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw the Dad's Army remake, and he plays uh, Godfrey in that. Sure. If you haven't seen it, is a very sort of nice. But man, he's he's very like, good yeah. at being villainous like this and blooming. He's very good at being menacing. What's yeah. that he's... blooming Matthew Vaughan film that he's like the best part of? Ah, uh, it's before. Ah, uh, it's like it's Matthew Vaughan. Yellow cover. Ah, it's tip of my tongue. <laughs> Kick ass. No. <laughs> uh, layer cake. Yes, layer yes, cake. yes, yes, yes. Why didn't? Yeah. Yes, he's like the best part of that film from what I saw because I ended up turning off. Um, <laughs> but like, he plays a villain very well, and like, yeah, the other villains are more side characters, but like. I don't know, it's something about his voice acting that, like, really excels the film. Again, mm. it sounds like I'm making up my points as I go along, but, like, I don't know. It's just something about his performance in this in this film, especially. Him and Willem Dafoe, yeah. so good. Um, and George Clooney. George Clooney, like, it, it, like I said, even with the cameos, like, Owen Wilson has one scene, and it still works. Um, but, yeah. And I think, going back to Jason Schwartzman, like, I don't know if this is because I've only seen him in Wes Anderson films and I think like one David O. Russell film but he always kind of plays the stoic guy mm. kind of the blank slate whereas in this he had 
like a full-fledged personality i think he was he was kind of a dick in the film right right but you know he's he's funny and he's relatable and you know he you identify with him yeah. to some degree yeah. i think in this he's he's really great i'm pretty i'm that pretty sure there's other there's either a beach boys song played within within this or something else but like yeah like outside of just the score itself like just the random there's songs that pop it yeah it? yeah Wes Anderson likes his like classic rock. I know like, yeah. there's a lot of Bowie in yeah. some of his earlier films. It, it was Jarvis Cocker who who was um who was the who plays Petey and you know if yeah. you ever want to hear your IMDb trivia read out loud, this is the podcast for you because it says here <laughs> that early versions of this movie uh, cast him Jarvis Cocker as an on-screen narrator for the film, which apparently uh, baffled test audiences. Uh, it says here that Cocker said in. <laughs> Fucking hell, I need to mature myself. Said in an interview with The Observer, I may turn up as a DVD extra in the future. And then in the theatrical cut, Cocker's uh, spoken, not sung dialogue is reduced to one line. So that's interesting that he was originally the narrator. Like, I would assume, I would chalk that up to a studio being like, we need a narrator. But then again, it didn't work out in test audiences. I, I hate the idea of test audiences in general apparently it benefits cer- certain films in different ways but like i just can't stand the idea of it because like it certain... goes against the film student mindset i guess doesn't it sure like, you know, make what you want make what your heart desires yeah but no it sometimes can be detrimental to a film as well yeah it's... yeah funnily it's enough like, go... we need a narrator otherwise how will the audience know what's going on exactly funnily enough going off uh after my point earlier it was it premiered two days after where the wild things uh, re, uh where the wild things are was released which is like a weird subcategory of like indie directors <laughs> picking up children's projects it's like making I, them autumnal you know <laughs> like <laughs> i can't wait for you know uh <laughs> like uh, in a ritu to do the little caterpillar or some shit <laughs> the <hungry castle>. <laughs> <laughs> michael keaton <laughs> um yeah, I'd like I was gonna ask what other parts make it, you know, c- cozy as well as comfort, like a comfort film. But I, I, you know, uh, we're kind of repeating ourselves with like, it's just very good uses of texture and and score. Yeah, I can't think just, of what I'm else. I'm going through my notes again. I've got lots of obvious notes. Of, sorry, I mean, George Clooney's voice because... definitely is a factor. <laughs> George Clooney's voice. Uh, I put that the film is like incredibly well paced. Oh, definitely. Waste any time. Like it's eighty minutes long, and there's so much going on, and it, it's very sort of action, action, action. Apparently, yeah. apparently the werewolf scene, not the werewolf, uh, the wolf scene is like the reason he wanted to make the film. Like th- that, like if we were to condense it, like that whole scene and the themes within it. But I don't know how to explain that scene. Do you know what I mean? I suppose, well, the theme going out, go, yeah, going across. I'm gonna quickly the munch my pasta. So. <laughs> Sorry, I guess. Okay, I'm hungry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I guess the theme going throughout the film is the sort of uh, the it's sort of the dichotomy between responsibility and sort of instinct, isn't it? Whether you should follow your dreams and do what your heart desires, or you know, do what benefits those around you, like your family and your friends, yeah. and that's the sort of toil that Mr. Fox is going through throughout the whole film. Because he has, you know, he's a wild animal, yeah. but he's also a husband and a father. Yeah, because that's that's repeated throughout. Yeah. He's like, I'm a wild animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what the the wolf scene is. Kind of, I know. I I think Carsten Runquist did a much more articulate <laughs> and <Big> <laughs> analysis, big up, but uh, analysis of that um, scene in the yeah, film yeah. and the film in general. But 
Um, it from what I gathered, it was because he there's a thing about him being afraid of wolves yeah, throughout yeah. the film, isn't there? And I guess it's sort of him coming to terms with that at the end of the film, and him sort of coming to terms with his animal instinct yeah. and sort of finding balance in his life. I guess that's, I, that's I such an, a off, nice but... moment in general, though. And there's like there's so many yeah. like whilst there's nice moments within this film in general, the the whole like I'm a wild animal theme uh, is like throughout. It the film has a like it has a very good way of showing that like like foxes can be very weird and ugly. Like when he goes to eat his his meal and he just like yeah. randomly ravages it, it's like Ugh, this is freaky to watch as a kid. <laughs> or when he kills the chicken. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Kylie's like oh, my my teeth aren't as sharp. Like, <laughs> he's just like struggling to kill this chicken. I'm like oh, I wish we need a Kylie in our lives. Honestly. And it sort of it applies to the other characters as well, like the big climax at the end is sort of, you know, embrace who you are, your animal instinct. <laughs> that little mouse who's like, I wanna help <laughs> <laughs> I wanna rewatch it again now, honestly. Like Yeah, I know, yeah. See this is the thing, this is I think where you and I differ that I I am very cautious with films that I like a lot. I try not sure. to watch them too many times. Yeah, but like, like Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I No, I was just saying that yeah. <laughs> Put him up. <laughs> the fucking delay on the. It's a jewel on the thing. Uh, what were you gonna say? Uh, I, I forgot. Um, I I I just you know this film personally like if you're really down it it works as like a pick me up, and I I debated yeah. watching it whilst writing notes. I should have to be honest, but you know, like, yeah, it for some reason it didn't appear repetitive to me even like as in watching it again because like there's films that I, I've watched a lot and I've, I feel like I've got to space them out like you know <laughs> Uncut Gems Parasite like even though I've seen them so many times I have to space them out so that a part of you forgets what you're seeing in order to enjoy the experience again and that's where I envy yeah. a lot of people where it's like you like if you guys haven't seen Fantastic Mr. Fox go watch it as soon as possible after this one because uh, after this episode or you know feel free to come back because it's like, I envy people's experience of it the first time. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Whereas with this one, for some reason, being in, a sh- like, a shitty state, I guess, even though I know what moments are going to pop up or, like, I know how the last act turns out or whatnot, I, it still appears fresh to me. I don't know how to explain also, that. I guess like, do you know what I mean? There's a level of comfort with it yeah. as well, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah fitting. I didn't know Because, you know, we've had, we've had a very unpredictable year and everything. Sure. And, I suppose having 80 minutes of I know what's going to happen and I know it's going to make me happy is yeah. you you got to have that sometimes yeah, in your life you know it's it makes perfect sense yeah. uh, and but yeah I was cuz I was looking at like my list of my favorite films that changes every now and again but with all my favorite films I've only seen them at most 3 times right. yeah with each one and I just I guess I it depends like on like I if have. you've got like an addictive personality or whatnot which I'm not. I'm not mm. saying I have, but like, I've watched Parasite five times this year. <laughs> I've seen it <laughs> twice. Like, I think, yeah. You'd think at that point it get redundant, but depending on the film, like I guess that's similar to Fantastic Mr. Fox because the film is perfect. There's so much to catch up on on rewatch, or there's so many little hidden detail, uh, hidden details, yeah. or like. I just like listening to the score, and yes, I could listen to it outside on Spotify, but I it's better to you know pick it up whilst you're seeing it um it's it's weird where i I find myself picking up the score because like i hear it in blooming tiktoks (laughs) like they put it the 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 bit that i hummed earlier like that i don't know the song but that specific 
uh, motif. Like I see that in a lot of like uh, cottage core autumnal blooming TikToks or whatever. But you know, like I said, it th- that score fits those uh, vibes so so completely well. And yes, we're gonna unironically say vibes. It's a good word. <laughs> um, go- it's kind of a vague word. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But it's so similar to interesting and fair enough. But you know, that's what we do. <laughs> um, I I really wanted to try uh, the cookies in this film, the, the, those like ginger snap oh, cookies. Yeah. There's like a recipe the, on, the online on how you can make them. And to be honest, oh, I bet binging with Babish is yeah. Guess I'm and again, big, big up. up. Good. <laughs> yeah, go see these other guys. <laughs> yeah, they they're great. Uh, Give us feedback. Yeah, going back yeah. to this. This sort of rewatching film. Sure. I, yeah, it depends on the person, I think. Well, like, this is, personally, yeah. I don't want to wear out a film, but, you know, I'm sure with you it doesn't feel like it's being weared so, out. So, how, how was out. how was rewatching Phantasm Miss Fox then, considering you've seen it a bit growing it was great. up? Like, I loved it. It's, you know, it's this was the first time I probably sat down and watched all of it from beginning right. to end for about at least. Uh, uh, seven years. Oh wow! So okay. It 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 was still fr- Yeah, yeah. It was still uh, a fresh experience. You know, it wasn't like oh, I know this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen. Right. But I I did remember all of it. There weren't bits that I didn't remember. But it you know it had been long enough mm. that I I could revisit yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much all I got to say with Fantasmus Fox. To be honest, like it, with yeah. all these films, but especially this one, I can I can't like um, like. All I want to say is just go see it. <laughs> yeah, you can't recommend it. Yeah, enough. it's very, it's very, very good. So let's you know, let's kind of leeway into a different element of comfort films. And again, this idea is kind of subjective, but like, so with this next film, The Apartment, I kind of consider this both a wholesome and sad comfort film. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Right. I know exactly what you mean. It's both a drama and a comedy and it, it tiptoes between those incredibly well and we'll go into that in a bit once I quickly pull up the good old Google synopsis and this one says C.C. Baxter or Buddy Baxter uh, a clerk in an insurance oh blimey, I can't speak in an insurance company lends out his apartment to, to the executives to carry out their extramarital affairs however a spanner is thrown in the works when Baxter falls in love uh, with you know an el- which they don't say uh, a person that's in his workplace um, yeah basically C.C. Uh, Baxter Buddy Baxter I don't know why he calls himself Buddy there's no bees in the C.C. but you know <laughs> um, he yeah he like I said lends out his apartment uh, for other people in his workplace so they can go fuck basically <laughs> and you know in order to make money which you know this guy thought of Airbnb way way ahead of he's way ahead of his time <laughs> Uh, this is a Billy Wilder a film point. written by him and I A L Diamond. I don't know what that's, Diamond, that's an yeah. acronym also, for. <laughs> uh, uh, I, th- I think the I stands for Izzy. Okay. I don't know what the A stands I- for. Iceberg but, anyway. Apple Lover. I was going to say Lemon. <laughs> lemon. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to uh, reviewing. Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> so Billy Wilder, famous writer. Uh, is he German or Austrian? Uh, I think he's Austrian. Yeah. Writer, director of stuff like, uh, you know, Some Like It Hot, Double Indemnity, The Front Page remix, Sunset, Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard. Classic. We yeah. love him. We love him here. Um, <laughs> Very good writer, director. This film, uh, at the time, was really controversial because this was not long after Some Like It Hot. Um, 
and to be, to, there's even a reference to Marilyn Monroe within this, where a, a guy says he's picked up someone like Marilyn Monroe. But um, let's talk about like what I was saying earlier, the the weird like teetering of drama and, and comedy, and how this is like such a lovely sad film at the same time. Yeah. So. I have a note on that, actually. Mm-hmm. It's um, relating to why this is one of my all-time favourite films ever. Because, I, I, again, this is one that I've only seen twice right. now. And it's still one of my favourites. I don't, I don't want to wear it out. That's, that, I, to be honest, I get that. Yeah. yeah. I first saw it a couple of years ago, and I fell in love with it. And I was worried that revisiting it, I was worried that it wouldn't live up to the hype. And it did. It was amazing. Um, and I think I've whistled it down. One of the reasons why... I love the film so much is that it's very pure its values are very wholesome and it's it's kind of its message is that the good kind people in the world succeed whilst the cold manipulative people don't and i think going to what you were saying of the sort of drama comedy sort of wholesome but sad element of it i think it strikes the sort of perfect balance between the sort of sentimental films of the 1930s to the 1950s you know the sort of big uh, musicals and romance films the sweeping films of that era while also including a bit of the more sort of progressive modern complex characters that sort of naturally grow and have flaws of sort of more modern cinema and I think it's kind of it does strike a perfect balance between those two things and it's kind of like almost like a cutoff point because this film was released in 1960 so it's like you know start of the decade end of the sentimental 50s hello you know, wild 60s. Sure, sure. So I guess, yeah, that that's partly the reason why it's one of my favourites, because it is just, it's very wholesome and pure, but also not afraid to get its hands yeah, dirty it, in certain aspects. It's kind of just like a life film, and usually when I say that term, it means, yeah. you know, kind of boring. But like, <laughs> like, usually life films kind of fall into like a Mike Lee territory, but like with this one, it when I say it's a life film, is that it has both elements of comedy and drama and, you know, depression and romance and all these different stuff, and yet it doesn't appear odd, it doesn't seem out of place. Um, there's yeah. some elements in this film which are really progressive for their time, especially dealing with like mental health and and whatnot. However, on rewatch there are some weird elements that don't age well now, in particular just the idea of like uh just sex in the workplace <laughs> and and how yeah, yeah, how the boss is like uh promoting him in order so that he only based off the reason that he lets people fuck in his apartment but I like, think it, it works because the film frowns yeah, on it that's in true. the end yeah. and the end the ending of the film is that he goes oh, against shit, it this yeah. guy's an yeah. asshole yeah and like everyone in the office is sort of you know pinching the bum of um uh what's her name Fran Sh- yeah, Kubelich Sh- Shirley MacLaine right played by Shirley, Shirley MacLaine the impeccable Shirley so great we, we were talking about her in um so in, Ber- in the Bernie episode and it's just it's, yeah uh, oh yeah Bernie um, God, that was she's wild. she's great in this film, and apparently, like, it wasn't controversial at the time to cast her, but apparently, it was like a big juxtaposition to like, you know, Marilyn Monroe mm. to like some like Shirley MacLaine just has like a lot of different qualities that she can play with, like she's like uh, very like uh, it's not ditzy, uh, no, what's the word? Like kind of like whimsical, happy, like yeah. like head in the clouds, but like has a lot of fucked up shit she's dealing with like she's like it's just a very human film surprisingly for this time like (laughs) and i put in one of my notes here i only have a few notes for this film but i'm (laughs) Um, I'm spitballing 
Yeah, one of the things I've really liked about this film is that it deals with the romance aspect in a sort of not very sort of lovey-dovey sure. way. Like, she doesn't immediately fall in love yeah, with him, yeah. and there is sort of... It, their relationship does naturally grow, yeah, yeah. I think, and she does feel a bit sort of standoffish at first around him, but she likes him as a friend, but they're sort of... They grow together, like, when she's staying in his apartment, they spend so much time together and they learn about each other and it doesn't feel like a sort of contrived romance yeah, film yeah. of like we need to do this beat then they need to hate each other and then they're gonna run to the airport right and yeah exactly which a, another like... film could like totally be tropey within yeah. so basically yeah Shona McLean uh, yeah. works the elevators at the building that uh, Buddy works in played by Jack Lemmon mm-hmm. and she is having an extramarital affair with uh, Buddy's boss, played by Fred McMurray, and it's this love triangle that happens, and yet, you know, like we said, it doesn't appear cliche, um, and apparently at this time, it was, con- like, this one actually was controversial, was uh, casting Fred, McM- Fred McMurray in that role, because he was so popular yes. as a family yeah. man within that time. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, he's a family man within this, but he's disgusting. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember. I think I listened to it. Might have been Roger Ebert's review of this. I someone's right. review of the film, and about how they sort of peel back this sort of element of the nuclear yeah. family that he's part of, like the happy, like the you know the Christmas yeah. card yeah. family. That and they even have the Christmas card with him and his kids. And that and was a big deal to show at the like, time oh, because it's not, like it's not yeah. what it seems. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. This film is like super said, explicit you know, for that time frame. Not yeah. now, but like, yeah, it's. Because, you know, the 50s was, like, 50s suburban America was that time when sort of the the traditional nuclear family was idolised and looked upon so fondly, and this film is kind of saying, like, oh, maybe it's not as yeah. nice as... Yeah, and I, I was watching, like, some, some, like, YouTube documentary about this film uh, prior, and uh, Shirley MacLaine, I think, uh, was saying that the reason why this film and Some Like a Hot and just Billy Wilder films in general are so progressive and go against the grain for these... Uh, Americanish genres is that you know it's him bringing his either German or Austrian sensibility to it, and he he knows where mm. to add dark humor. He knows when to have the actors improvise, and there's a lot of improvisation within mm. this film. Like even uh, the end scene, which we won't go into, but like that line is improvised, yeah. and it comes across so like it makes your heart melt, honestly. And then like mm. Jack Lemon brings so much comedic improvisation and, and physical comedy to it. Oh. Like Please. when when his like uh, I'm gonna call it like some sort of Tylenol like squirts across the room accidentally. That was all him. Like like you know he wait when he you know what? he has like that thing for his nose. Like you put up your nose that liquid. Oh yeah yeah. He accidentally yeah, yeah. squirts that across the room like when he's ill and he's in the room with Fred McMurray and he's trying to prove that he's still fit for the job and like squirts everywhere. <laughs> that was all him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like. Yeah, it's just it's something about Billy Wilder from the stuff I have seen that it's just like it's so progressive, even though like even mm. though there's still like a, a barrier in that progressive for its time. Like some like a hot is really progressive. However, it falls into the uh, the tropes of like oh a, a, a guy is dressed up as a girl. How funny! Like it, it's I mean, exactly, it 50s, but it's so, you know it was but it's, even with this one like yeah this is it deals with mental health quite well, even though there's some it sexist does. stuff attached to it it like this is there's a lot more mature elements in this film than blooming like uh netflix originals that pop up at the moment like blooming 
I don't know, <laughs> to the bone. I haven't seen it, but like elements of that yeah. film feel exploitative. Where there is this, it's like it it uh, it sympathizes with the characters. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I was you know all over the place at that point, but do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, he he's incredibly progressive as a director and screenwriter, and you know, like you said, especially for the time he was making films. And in his early career, he did make a lot of like sort of cynical films like Double Indemnity was I think also, also Fred McMurray right? of, or the first that's also sorry? Fred McMurray right yeah it's also Fred McMurray and it was kind of the first or one of the first uh, noir films which is a very sort of cynical genre in general and obviously Sunset Boulevard is sort of peeling back the you know sort of the glamorous Hollywood lifestyle sort of thing so you know yeah he does include a lot of cynical elements in his film that sort of life as it is you know um, I was saying this to you the other day that one of the reasons I was like a little late to watching this is because I always want to watch this film on a rainy day <laughs> I, I, if there's any film you want to watch on a day that's super pouring it down and it's like gloomy and dark outside watch The Apartment because even like it being black and white it I don't know it's comforting in, in, in a weird way even though it's all dark and gloomy like you feel more immersed in the film and, you know, it's raining in the film as well. Like, I'm sure that... It's official. Our podcast is being controlled by... <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Like... I know exactly what you mean. It's the perfect rainy just, day what film. What if it didn't rain? I, what if it didn't rain? <laughs> I ended up not watching it while it was raining. I watched it on a Sunday. We just like... wait until January. What if it snows instead of rain? I don't know how to explain what I mean. Like... <laughs> no, I, I understand what you mean. I'm just saying that it's... What if it right, didn't rain? Right. I mean, you don't have to watch yeah. it whilst it's raining, but I'm saying it, it's oh, a. Okay, it, right. I thought that was. It's more. No, it, it's such a nice experience watching it with with it raining yeah. outside, and because it's a very bittersweet yeah. film, and I suppose rain, you know, especially when you're cozy inside, it's a sort of bittersweet form yeah. of weather. And um, <laughs> just a little like anecdote of how I found this film, found out about this film was um, there's a series uh, on the Amoeba YouTube channel and Amoeba is a record store in LA I believe that has a lot of records and films and lots of like little trinkets and they have a series called What's In My Bag in order to promote the shop and promote the stuff they have and they have different celebrities of either like filmmakers or, or musicians to basically like do a haul basically of what they've bought at Amoeba and uh, and it's really interesting because you basically get to find out these filmmakers and singers and uh, rappers like tastes in what they like. And I was watching one uh, with Rally Ritchie, who's a singer and actor. He's famous for playing Grey Worm in Game of Thrones. He's also in adulthood, but he's also a like a big artist in England. And he like he got an, uh, a VHS copy of of uh, the apartment because he, it's his favorite film. And he's gotten like every version of it. And the cover they had was like the like. <laughs> the most nuclear family, like, cliche, like, love triangle-esque yeah. uh, cover. But he was just talking about how it was, like, his favourite film and basically some of the points we've we've uh, came up upon before, uh, where it's just a lovely, like, heartwarming film, even though it's so melancholic at times. Um, I recommend watching that video because it, it talks about that. It's put me on to a lot of, like, things I love now. Like, uh, there's a good... Uh, is he, uh, is either Labby or Lavi, Lavi Sifri album that he talks about and he talks about some death grip stuff and whatnot. It's a good video. But like, yeah, this film is just 
even though it's <laughs> there's some depressing elements, it's such a heartwarming film. <laughs> and you know, yeah. Jack Lemmon. Let's just gush about him for a bit. <laughs> uh, he's one of my favorite actors of all time. He is just perfect. And him and Shirley MacLaine, I think, are my favorite ever on-screen couple. Yeah. Just in film, yeah, I would say so. Just they're so adorable together and so amazing, and I love it. And it's just it's interesting because like <laughs> originally, like he comes off like any other actor. I feel like there's a bit of a yeah, <laughs> he's very pushy, but somehow it says. is. But it's yeah. Jack Lemmon, and he does it so well. <laughs> just well, not the stalkery, but but like That's... he he makes the character endearing. There's one nitpick that I have yeah. with him, but it's not not necessarily with him. It's just more of like I. At this moment in time, I don't like watching characters have a cold on screen. And for a while, he <laughs> performed. He has he has a cold and he's very stuffy, and I'm like, <laughs> like. I was just thinking because you were talking about when you first found sure, out about sure. this film, and I was just thinking back to when I first um, saw it and what made me want to watch it because I saw it I think just before I started second year. Mm. And I was just, I was finding out about Billy Wilder because I'd seen a few of his films. I'd seen Some Like It Hot and I'd seen uh, The Fortune Cookie. I think, I don't know if you've seen, so I haven't seen that one. That one. It's, it's one of his later ones. A lot of people didn't like it as much, but it's, I, I like it. But I remember because I was watching a video essay, I think, about Billy Wilder and why his films are so good, basically. It was a video essay talking about who is the best screenwriter of all time. And I think they said it was Billy right, Wilder, right. basically. And it was talking about why his films are so good. And it used The Apartment as an example of how it uses a, a narrative device called the Lubitsch okay. Touch. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. heard of that. So there was this filmmaker, I won't go into huge detail about it, but there was this film- filmmaker who Billy Wilder idolized called Ernest Lubitsch. Okay. Who, um, and the Lubitsch Touch is kind of a hard thing to define, but filmmakers use it all the time. It's like a way of showing a tragic element in your film that also somehow has a bit of levity and comedy, but also perfectly balances the comedy with the tragedy in a sort of ironic way. And the example they used in the film, I won't give it away for those who haven't seen it, but the scene with the mirror. Yes. Oh, oh just, it's just a great yes. callback. Yeah. Yeah. I'd... Yeah. That's a sort of example of tragedy interwoven with sort of irony yeah. and comedy. And it's and it's done throughout kind of the film. Like, there's a lot of just yeah, physical like lines of dialogue, physical yeah. comedy and, and things shown f- physically rather than just outright spoken um oh yeah. there there's a like the production design in this film so like the the way they made mm. the office look so huge and like full of people was like they had a couple of rows and then they just like painted a backdrop to look really really small so that it looks like it was like extending <laughs> forever um it's similar to like with the Great Hall in Harry yeah. Potter, I think, in Hogwarts, how they had like you know smaller. Well, they had dwarves, I think, at the far back, just to give the illusion that it was larger. Right. I don't know, tangent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, fun fact oh, yeah. about this film: it won uh, five Oscars. One was for its production. One best design. picture, right? So, I'm pretty sure Audrey Hepburn gave it. I'm pretty sure. I feel like yeah, did I she? think I think she did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe she might. Have been. She, she would have been uh, about best then. picture yeah. director, screenplay, uh, production design, and mm. editing. I think were its three. Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon got nominated but didn't oh, win. No. I think yeah, they should have. I don't know who they would be nominated <laughs> with, but. Well, th- there was this whole video I watched. I won't <laughs> go into it, but it was talking about why Shirley MacLaine lost. Oh yeah. The Oscars that year, she lost to. Elizabeth Taylor, a whole beef. For, and it was kind of like a, a consolation 
win mm. for her. It was like sort of sympathy at the Oscars. There's a whole video. Hey about guys, it check out these other things. <laughs> yeah, just Google. There's this, I can't remember the YouTuber, but it's this YouTuber who talks about actresses at the mm. Oscars, and it's really thorough and in depth and so great. I've seen so many of them. There's one about Geraldine Page and Meryl Streep, and it's just Google the one about Elizabeth Taylor. It's great. It's thorough. It's just going off it. <laughs> your mention of the screenplay here you you, you sir have, have the screenplay i have yes. a book <laughs> yes with the screenplay transcribed yeah. in it which was given to me by who gave it to me <laughs> who, who was it that hmm. gave it to me do, do you remember i think it was jack are you, are you doing a bit right now <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like this motherfucker <laughs> it, it was me never. i did it um yeah uh, what what was it about the, the author was saying a weird thing about the uh, of the book transcript the book version the author was making some very interesting points <laughs> for lack of a better word about the apartment <laughs> uh so i read this ages ago i um cuz you gave this to me very kindly when um lockdown started and i was at home quarantined i'm, I'm just such own, a nice and guy i got in the post a nice little <laughs> book from you and it was very sweet and i didn't read the whole book yet i haven't read it the whole thing yet um but i've seen the film so i basically read the script and i read the preface at the beginning and it was uh, it was i can't remember exactly what it was saying but it was pointing out some negative things with the film i think or reasons why the author doesn't think it's like an absolutely perfect film and it was uh, i think one of the reasons was that it isn't very cinematic like it, the film relies largely on its screenplay rather than it's sort of cinematography because it's sort of all the shots are very these like wide uh, yeah i, I i've got a, dis- a very cinematic film yeah it relies on its writing but like again the 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 physical yeah. motifs that are in it and and the black and white cinematography like it is under some sort of it's not two three five to one but it's something it's very anna it's very it's wide like yeah anna, <laughs> i think it's like yeah that's the word <laughs> and it's like all these shots are very wide and i think he pointed out in the book that you know, when people were so, uh, went to watch this on TV oh, yeah. after it was released in cinemas, you know, about two thirds of the screen would be. That was happening with a lot of VHSs. Like a, a the, the aspect ratio. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. to suggest another thing, but I'm pretty sure it's an H bomber guy video. <laughs> That's the thing with our podcast; you discover but, little again, other things. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I've got to disagree <laughs> with. Again, him. I'm not doing the author of this book. I'm not doing the author of this book justice because I can't remember exactly what he said, but I remember it being in that sort of. Yeah, I just of, thought it was. Like, you know, all the shots of these wide shots. Yeah, and, I, yeah, I just thought it was funny that, like, the author of this is being like, hey, I don't like the film. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what I said. It's, it's what I it feels go like. Record, that's not what I said. He likes the film, but I think his point was, like, it's an 8 out of 10, not a 10 Yeah, but imagine any author in their preface doing that. Just being like, hey, here's my book. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a 5 at best, but, you know, <laughs> read it. <laughs> Well, no, it, well, it's different because he's sure. critiquing someone sure. else's work, yeah. not his. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Just as like um, a, I need to read the rest of that. Yeah. Book at some point. I think just as a nice wrap up because it seems like we are again comfort and cozy cinema is like a subjective genre, but like with our pickings today, pick, with our choices today, it seems like we've we've we cover a nice spectrum of like different moods to go into this film. So like. Uh, to go into so like with Fantastic Mr Fox it's like a good comfort film not only for kids 
uh, and adults and teens, but like it's very texture based and it's very comedic and you know based on music and whatnot, uh, as in like music choices and whatnot. And then the apartment is a great mix of like melancholy and happiness. This next film, yeah. I would just more consider just light viewing and cool and nice to watch. So we've we've got you know we've got the 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 kids the kid whimsy with the first one, and then the second one we got you know <laughs> life depression and happiness, <laughs> and then the stick that yeah and some, some whimsy. whimsy, and then I'd say the sting is yeah just just a stylish cool film, just a really yeah. great film I think it's um, yeah the sting yeah. Uh, let's let's uh I've got the oh my god Google does not give it a synopsis how will I ever move on in life? <laughs> what there's, there's no <laughs> okay okay there's, there's no what? okay I'm just gonna say what Wikipedia says then which it says the Sting is a 1973 American caper film set in September 1936 involving a, a complicated plot. <laughs> By two professional grifters, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, Decon and Mob Boss, played by Robert Shaw. The film was directed by George Roy Hill, who had directed Newman and Redford in the Western Butch Cassidy and the Sungarts Kid. Weird that Wikipedia's like, hey, this is convoluted. <laughs> it's like this. Hey, you seen Knives Out? Uh, uh, there's some hard. knives in it. Murder mystery. <laughs> Meh. Film. G- George Roy Hill is very good. I've only seen Great Waldo Pepper and The Sting, but like, watch Great Waldo Pepper. I haven't so seen so that, good. Though. It's also like really awkward to watch because there's a lot of plane stunts where the actors, or the stuntmen, even there's great stunts in that film where mm. it's like you know, like if you're watching one of those people that are like uh, standing on on the cliff of something. I mean, that makes it sound like you shouldn't watch it, but like it's I've, you've I've got to. That's it. a brilliantly <laughs> written film and also another great Robert Redford performance. But let's go into this one. Yeah, uh, I yes. I'd call this like Oceans before Oceans came out. Oh yeah, it's very much of that vein, isn't it? The sort of charming, but sort of um, plotty yeah, yeah. film. The, you know? the, the grifter film, uh, the, the, the con film, I think, the yeah, heist film. Straight off the bat, Paul Newman and Robert Redford have perfect yep. chemistry. They play off each other really so well. well. <laughs> and it's not, they're both charming, but in different ways. Like I think I've written down here that Newman's... Paul Newman's like aloofness is the perfect foil to Robert Redford's sort He's of. He's also intense, just a great mentor sort as well. Young, though. Hot shot yeah. persona. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they sort of have opposite energies because, yeah, Robert Redford is the very intense character, whereas Newman is the sort of modern, yeah. relaxed character. He's, you know, he's the old school veteran of uh, being yeah, a grifter, yeah. you know? Um, I think what Wikipedia and Google's No Synopsis fails to mention is that. Uh, Robert Redford is a grifter who uh, is working with his mate uh, Luther, I believe, who's an older grifter. Played by yes. Robert Earl Jones, James Earl oh, Jones' wow. dad. Damn, yep. I didn't know that. I mean, that makes sense. He's got a very bassy voice. Um, yeah, they mm. they come across... They manage to get a lot of money off of a, a mob without knowing, and then the mob go after them, and that's what kind of sets the plot in motion, yeah. and he has to go to... Yep. Paul Newman uh, in order to sort things out and Paul Newman is like yeah yeah basically he wants to get revenge on the yeah. big crime Play boss Robert and Shaw. he doesn't he's because he's like a an amateur grifter well not amateur but sort of low level he's grifter. pretty reckless Newman is like yeah. sort of the big honcho yeah. grifter so he goes to him and says help me get revenge on this guy and before sure. we go any further I would just like to say uh, Robert Shaw <laughs> is Wor- terrible oh I, I was going to say film. worst Irish accent ever 
<laughs> I, the accent, whatever, take it or leave it. His performance, I love it. Yeah. He is such a great. Oh, the, the, yeah, the poker the scenes I are very good. Really with like, it. they're very tense. He's he's got a very good steely oh, gaze. So like, good. do you know what I mean? He has a good steely gaze, and I know you don't like the accent, but his voice yeah. in general, I think, carries a lot of sort of. There's a lot of tightness in it, and it, you know everything he says feels like. I mean, he's, he's got a good voice regardless. Like even like him in Jaws, like he's it's so very. There's it like not. Timber to it or timbre or whatever, but you, yeah, I do think it's a yeah. terrible but Irish just, accent. If you though. look at those, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, but it's like you look at those two films and it shows how much range he had. I think because it's such a shame that he had short, such a short mm. career. And uh, no, he's really great in this. And I added here a little written down that uh, I like the added detail of his. Oh yeah. yeah, I thought it made his character more idiosyncratic, sort of more sure. recognizable. I, I feel like, like there is a nice bad trope of like vil- villain has a physical ailment though, <laughs> but that's a nitpick. Yeah, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. it's you know it's not sure, like a sure. metal claw or something or an eye patch it's or like, like a, a facial disfigurement. Thing. Yeah, uh, they didn't. Yeah, yeah it's like oh, I just found out why he's got the limp. Do you want to know? It's because he injured his knee in real life. So it's a good old IMDb shout out IMDb. As a kid, for some reason, I just, like, gave it the acronym of I'm David Beckham, which doesn't make sense because, like, the the M is, I don't know, Kid Kid Joe was an idiot, still is, but yeah, it says here that, uh, and apparently 179 out of 181 people found this interesting, (laughs) why does IMDb have that feature? Okay. Robert Shaw anyway. injured his knee and incorporated the resulting limp into his performance, according to "You'll Never Eat Lunch Again," "Eat Lunch in This Town Again" by Julia Phillips. Shaw split all the ligaments in his knee after slipping on a wet handball court at the Beverly Hills Hotel a week before filming had started. He had to wear a leg brace during production, which was kept under, uh, which was kept hidden under the wide 1930s style trousers he wore. Um, so yeah. It's pretty much what actors do, isn't it? It's like uh, Joaquin Phoenix had a really bad back during yeah. during uh, the Master. It's the just master. like yeah, and he slouches yeah, but, a lot. You know, yeah. It still works. No, yeah, if yeah. it works, it works. You make your character your own. I, I, I remember do. someone someone um, said yeah. that this film has been colorized just to bring out Robert Redford's really nice blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, poor you. <laughs> they just spat the blue Come eyes. On. Really, like. Just like you talk about Robert Redford, <laughs> Paul Newman could fucking paint a house with those honestly, baby blues. This is Zima blue eyes. <laughs> We're not talking about uh, the blue. The, the costume design the in this film is really great, but apparently there was there was a controversy yeah. that like the costume designers stole this off of someone else. I really wish I had this written down, but like another suggestion guys there's a very good cinefix video about this film and it should tell you why that there was a yeah basically this costume designer stole if i'm paraphrasing uh stole a lot of ideas off a different costume designer and whatnot but like really the costume design is great it, it like put like it's a robert redford yeah. suit at the beginning when he wins a lot of money yeah it's iconic like, isn't it oh, yeah. and paul newman's like yeah, disheveled clothes yeah. they're really just yeah but it's interesting, costume design. Um, so the costumes were designed yes. by Edith Head, very, very famous costume designer, who was also the model for yes, Edna yes. Mode in yeah, The Incredibles. Yeah. That's, yeah. Why, uh, that's what <laughs> I said in the video. <laughs> you, look, you look at it. But yeah. but yeah, she's... Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, she's. I, she did a good job with it. I didn't know yeah, there's, there was stole. a big... Co- like, I, I, I know that seems to be my hot word of the day, but like, yeah, apparently there was a big... 
hoorah about it and who actually did the costume design within the film. Um, I rewatched this recently, yeah. but I was so tired. And it, some, I like, I love watching the films for the podcast, but sometimes it can feel homeworky. And it did with this one, but like, because I was like trying to stay awake. But in general, when I've watched it previously and watching it now, even though I love the film, I always kind of forget what the con is. I, I, I don't really understand how the con works. Is it a horse race? Yeah. So basically, yeah, they're setting up this whole, basically, the way it starts, no, is, I'm not yeah. going to reveal just the it, whole plot. Just in terms of like what would be presented, like in adverts. But the setup, yeah, basically, so they con the big mob guy played mm-hmm. by Robert Shaw um, at first by uh, playing poker with him, and then he loses at poker and gets very, very angry. So Redford, pretending to be on his side, being like, wink, wink, I know how you can get back at this guy for beating you at poker you know, go to this bookies and just bet on the right horse each time. Little does he know, the bookies is this all set up by him and Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah. They, do you yeah. remember, they build a, like, a fake yeah, uh, bookies. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah. like, I, I knew what it was. I'm just saying it's kind of awkward to follow. Um, it's a very, like, the film's remembered yeah. for its script. But, like, it? even Wikipedia called it complicated. Film, like... <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, that's just stupid. I think that Wikipedia. But even that, even but though, it's yeah, it's a semi-convoluted, like grift or heist. But you know, like, it still ties itself into an it like yeah. into a nice little bow. And like all heist films, kind of do that yeah, awkwardly absolutely. complicated thing where it's like, oh, this person's got to go in a bag, and then this person's got to like you know. It's like Knives Out, I think, in that it's complicated but not too incomprehensible yeah. I, and if you pay attention it is it's fun and you enjoy I, it re-watching it recently i'd throw knives out into a comfort film category oh yeah, yeah absolutely um, but this film yeah. going back to the script was written by david I s thought, ward oh yeah yeah, yeah. also wrote Sorry. sleep sleepless in seattle and the oh, film wow. king ralph with john so Gooden. he originally wanted to direct Sorry, this film and paul yeah because he's yeah, directed i think paul newman was like i'm only going to do it if george Roy hill directs it and there, there's a <laughs> video of jo- nice. uh, of um, Paul Newman later on in life being like I don't know if this film would get made today due to studio interference because this is such a like like I'm sure they had massive sets and loads of people and different costumes and all this stuff and, and if there was and going off what we talked about with test audiences because uh, that was only being uh, incorporated recently um, he was like, this film wouldn't work with test audiences, basically. They'd be like, oh, what's this? Or, uh, you know, I don't get it, or something like that. So he thinks it, he thinks it wouldn't be made, or he th- and also he thinks that, like, he thought that, uh, like, the director wouldn't have as much say, basically, with a film like this. Mm. I, I think it would get made today, because it's like, I know it's complicated, but it is ultimately yeah. a crowd-pleasing I- film. Like there isn't a lot that's controversial that's yeah. with it. It's a very sort of. Clean I mean, you can argue film. the characters are. You can nice argue that like the oceans films have kind of followed this formula. But um, mm. yeah, like I find it interesting that he thinks it. it he thought it wouldn't be made. Um, so going off of what we were talking about with score with Fantastic Mr. Fox, this is another one where it's a repeated song and melody that I have stuck in my head all the time, and it's <laughs> the Scott Joplin, yeah. uh, the Entertainer. The so good. Yeah, it's not an original score. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. adaptation, I think, of existing but it's, music. It's... Yeah. it's very good. It's catchy. It fits the film incredibly well. It fits the sort of jaunty mm. tone of the film. and It's, it's, it's just no, one it's that's really stuck great. in your head I, I all the time. The it's just, and I love it. 
Um, yeah. One nitpick, it, it's got very weird transitions in the film. Oh, the Star Wars, yeah. like, white And, like, the weird the, zoom outs, which I was, like, trying to figure out whether or not that was an added-on thing or was just the time. Oh, yeah, because there's one yeah. zoom out in, like, a quite intense scene near the beginning of the film, and it's meant to be, like, this dramatic, yeah. quite sad scene. Right. I won't tell you what it is, but um, they have this yeah. sort of clunky yeah. zoom out, and I actually went... When I watched it recently, I actually went back and watched yeah, it again. Yeah, honestly. Like, but one one thing I do uh, it's, like it's like but... in that uh, category is just like the title cards, the painted title cards. I thought they yeah. worked. Usually, I find those yeah. quite mon- like annoying, but I I thought for this it worked pretty well, and you know, it added some like levity and like when things were getting complicated, it's like here's this part of the heist. Da-da-da-da. Um, hmm. sorry, I had a little burp. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, what notes have I got here? Uh, I've talked about uh, the chemistry between the actors. Apparently Jack Nicholson uh, turned down can... this role that Robert Redford was playing. Yeah. Very interesting, totally. That makes sense. Um, d- Nicholson turned down yeah. The Godfather. And Robert Redford, uh, the studio wanted him in The Godfather instead of Al Pacino. And and Francis Ford Coppola threw yeah. a fit about it. And they wanted him in The Graduate. Yeah. It's because he's just like well. he's at the yeah. time he was just like this pretty blonde actor. He was yeah. just a good everyman. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is it about Robert Redford that, like, I don't know how to explain this. So like, Old Man and the Gun, right? That film's very mm-hmm. charming, very whimsical, like con character, right? And it it plays scenes of him in other films. I'm pretty sure it plays a scene from The Sting where he's like holding onto the back of the car, escaping. What is it about him as an actor that lends himself so well to these types of films where it's like the nice con man? Like not the nice con man, but like, do you know what I mean? I don't know, he's just just very charming, isn't he? He's a good, he's like George Clooney or like Tom Hanks or James Stewart. He's just a good kind of everyman. I, I remember, I think... I was watching an interview, I mentioned Roger Ebert again, he was talking about mm. uh, George Clooney, and they were asking him what makes George Clooney good, and he, uh, uh, Roger Ebert, described George Clooney yeah. as smooth. He's a smooth actor. Sort of, like, there, there isn't any sort of edginess to him, he's just a very sort of relatable, mm. charming person who... You know, he's a good leading man, yeah. I guess, that's why. And that's, you know, you, you can apply that to I, I, as well. I double bill these two films, because like, they're very similar. Old Man and the Gun and The Sting. That, um, yeah. I haven't seen Butch Cassidy. I, I really need to. I saw it My dad would, like, shout at me ago. for that. Like, it's, he loves it. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice little link to the apartment is that there's an ac- actor in both films... Uh, yeah, Ray Walston. Uh, the one yeah. that could—that was what I, I forgot to say with the apartment, right? I was so annoyed every time they said Buddy Boy, and I never got why. And it's like, oh wait, his name is technically <laughs> Buddy. Like it's—it's it's like a nickname. I liked it. I thought it was a good little. But yeah, he's—he's he's also that. in um, the Sting, and again, this is such a good precursor to the Ocean's film because it's just like this gang of uh, like eccentric characters and their different roles that they play. Mm. And I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if this was an influence for Oceans. But you've also got Harry, Harold Gould as Kid Twist. Yeah. Um, I yes. I found that interesting yeah. rewatching it because uh, the reason I know the name Kid Twist is there's a Canadian battle rapper called Kid Twist um, who uh, who wrote the film <laughs> Bodied, which is about a similar uh, subject. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got okay. his name from The Sting. 
because like how else do you come up with the name Kid Twist? Um, Another sure. performance I'd like to highlight in this film is a uh, yes, the... as the crooked cop. Yeah. I think he oh, is he good. the one that's constantly chasing him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I liked him. I, I was... right. I thought the romance subplot didn't work at all. And I know there's some sort of switcheroo implied, but I just, it just took up chunks of the film, personally. Um, yeah. That's all I can really say without spoiling it. It's, it, it, kind, it's of, kind of know, film. Films need huh? romance. <laughs> that's true. Romance, I, it, I guess. Basically, that's the... <laughs> the whole romance subplot is just there for some weird rug pulling that isn't necessarily needed. Like not in a like oh it's weird to watch. Like it's just there's a rug pull moment and you're like oh cool I guess let's get back to the you know. The heist. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a little, a sort yeah, of small yeah. twist before the actual important yeah. good twist. Kit twist. <laughs> yeah. Who the else is twist? Uh, yeah, I think we've gone through most of the, the cast really. Oh, there's a guy. There's a there's uh, a guy Alan in this that Dunham, looks like Flea, <laughs> and I found out his name is is Charles <laughs> Deercop, who plays Floyd, who's basically one of um, Robert Shaw's henchmen. But he looks like Flea, and I couldn't shake it. <laughs> fun fact he's also in Butch Cassidy apparently and a show called Policewoman that's yeah. the funnest of facts um, yeah what, what, what is it about The Entertainer as a song that's so good uh, it's very simple it's catchy um, it fits the like I said before it fits the sort of jaunty sort of uplifting tone that the film has. I think it's, you know, uh, a sort of very simple percussion is very just easy sure. to get in your head. Yeah. I think the da 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 And yeah. it just sounds nice. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. know. I, just, I was just yeah. wondering, because, yeah, it just stays with me. Every time, I, like, the film's mentioned to me, I literally just think of that that song. Um, going off of yeah. what we are saying about studios in this film, uh, I think Paul Newman was probably... Right, because there's a sequel to this film called The Sting 2, and it's Sting one of the two. lowest rated films on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and it hasn't, yeah, it's got, like it's got none of the original cast. It randomly has Oliver Reed in it for some yeah. reason. And I watched the trailer for it, and it looks terrible. And I'm pretty sure they try and use the song again, and it doesn't work. Like, oh man, <laughs> I suppose going back to like what Newman said about the um. What if this sure. film would get made today and the sort of controversy about it? I suppose one controversial element, which I think, I, I don't know, I guess, is that it's sort of glorifying sure. criminal life. But I guess it works because they're going yeah, after a bigger like, criminal who's a worse criminal. The fact they make, make you like, like these characters and sympathise with them is just a, a testament to good directing. Yeah. It's like, why do we like Danny Ocean? Yeah, and, like, yeah. and good writing <laughs> as well, yeah. And it's, I think when Shawshank was first released, there were some critics who said, like, oh, you, you know, you're making these prisoners look too friendly and nice, and you're sort of saying, oh... And, and, and that film prison. only really got sort more traction when it went out on VHS, because it was received terribly when it came... Yeah, yeah it was a slow burn. Uh, it'd be interesting it slow to burn. find out how the sting was received. Sorry, I was eating my meal deal pasta. Uh, I'm trying to find any... I think it was yeah. received quite well. Um, it's interesting. So it won uh, Best Picture, yeah. as The Apartment did, and a bunch of other Oscars. And it's funny because it's... Um, I think I read somewhere that it was the only like PG film to get a Best Picture win All in right. the 1970s. I think, possibly. 
because it was def it was probably the most optimistic film to win best picture in the 70s because it was a decade mm. for like gritty sort of films about the mafia and the vietnam war but then you have the sting which is like it tells a, a reasonably happy story that actually has a happy ending i guess yeah. that and rocky were like the two feel good best picture winners of yeah, the 70s this is a thing you with, know, with like the audiences Godfather and comfort films they like to be uplifted right so that's why they go and yeah. see them um yeah. i found two really interesting imdb things i'm sorry it seems lazy but they're it's it's <laughs> we should change this podcast to <laughs> the middleman it's it's linking back to things we talked about so uh with go on you know robert shaw's irish accent um this was a huge hit at the Irish box office, apparently. It played for over one year at Dublin's Adelphi Cinema. It was, in fact, so popular that UK cinema-goers were flying to Dublin to catch it as as it had finished showing on, at the, uh, on British circuits. Um, so, you know, I guess that's a testament to how good Robert Shaw is. Like, even though he's got a fucking terrible Irish accent... Irish, I don't know. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Honestly, I thought it, it was so bad. In the film. I think... His performance right. was so good, and just the way it was directed was so sure. captivating that yeah. the accent didn't bother me. Mainly because I, I don't know, maybe it's because no, <laughs> and uh, I've got a bit of a lengthy one, but it's it's interesting knowing the the, the stuff behind it. So uh, David Mora sued for plagiarism, claiming the screenplay was based too heavily on his 1940 book The Big Con about real life tricksters Fred and Charlie Gondorf, which. That is a similar name in the in the film. Yeah, yeah. It's the same name. <laughs> U- universe, uh, Universal same. quickly settled out of court for $300,000, irking David S. Ward, who had used many non-fiction books as research material and hadn't really plagiarised any of them. Brackets. It didn't help that Universal had quoted excerpts from Mora's book properly, at, properly book properly attributed. Um, of course, in... Uh, I can't read for shit, man. Um, of course, in the souvenir booklet they produced as part of the film's publicity materials. Basically, like, yeah. <laughs> Another lawsuit followed when a company called Followway Productions claimed that since they had bought exclusive adaptation rights to the Big Con in, uh, back in 1952, any movie ripped off of that book was ripped off of them too. The case was thrown out because Followway failed to get the author to join it. Paul Newman then sued for a refund on uh, on California state income taxes that he had paid on the money he had earned on the sting, saying that he should have been charged out of the state rate, not the residence rate. Brackets, he won. And Newman and George Roy Hill later sued Universal for lost revenue from VHS sales on the film and Slapshot, uh, which is another film, I believe. Uh, How fitting that a movie about money should have inspired so much real-life bickering about it. That's what it says. I, and that's a wrap. G- the, like yeah. we were talking about VHSs with, and then and then also no, yeah, just it's, yeah, it's an interesting story. the Gondorf part that. as well, um, man. Like yeah, <laughs> that's so odd. Like I, it doesn't take away my enjoyment it's of the, the film. Same name. It's kind of like David S. Ward was Sorry? giving the middle finger. No, no, no. What did you say? No, it doesn't. Well, take yeah, away but what my did you say before that? Like, it delayed a bit. No, it's. Uh, I said earlier. It was like David S. Ward giving the middle finger to the writer of the book, just saying, oh, I'm going to call my character <laughs> yeah. Gondorf as well. Um, yeah, like, this film is probably the most, out, like, most stylish and fun out of these three. Like, it's just a very fun, sleek film. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I think we've covered a good spectrum of comfort.
comfort and cozy wholesome films um let us know like what other ones you guys go to let us know what you think of these ones um yeah that's that's mainly what i've got to say today um what about you matt uh, yeah, no, I think I've I've gone through all my notes. I, I mean, a takeaway for me is that I really need I to think... watch Butch Cassidy. Yeah, I need to revisit that film because I first saw it. And very, I also really want to rewatch Old Man and the Gun. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a good my film. my uh, my chicken pasta is getting really cold, and I'm very hungry. <laughs> it's five thirty. <laughs> I got my lunch before the podcast, guys. I'm sorry. This happens. Like with with um, with the Lomax episode, I was like doing a food shop before before the episode. <laughs> I was late, so you know, give give these episodes a download at least for Matty P, who just deals with my shit so well. <laughs> like... <laughs> no man, you you did well. You said you didn't have any notes, and yet you yeah. come up with a lot to say. Like you've been very um, thorough on each. Yeah, one. like. Like I said, guys, let us know your comfort films. Let us know how these films, uh, how these films were for you. Like, did they, did they uh, bring up similar feelings as we had? Um, yeah, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go order all the VHS copies of these films. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. I own two of these films. I was saying to you, I think um, this has probably been the most convenient episode. <laughs> There's me, no going through the weird third-party websites. <laughs> There's no, like, going on Bob or some weird... Because, like, yeah, I own two of the three films, and then the third one, Fantastic Mr. Fox, is on yeah. Amazon Prime, so that was easy enough. I didn't have to... Well, I, I don't bootleg... No, no, I was just saying, like, like, with websites personally. like uh, like Bob and Canopy, or, like, this... Yeah, I don't know if my Canopy Man, still works. Canopy has less stuff right. now because they they base it on what the what, what your university can have, and Bournemouth Uni can't have a lot of the films because uh, originally they had everything on there, right? And Rocket Man was on there, so I was like, oh, I can't wait mm-hmm. to rewatch Rocket Man. So I clicked, oh, okay. I clicked play, and they're like, your uni doesn't have this film, um, so you can apply to have the film on there, but you have to give a reason why. <laughs> so I had. So I was I like, like oh yeah, I'm studying this film for an essay. <laughs> and they got back to me like, no. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so yeah. So dumb. Like, uh, Fantastic yeah. Miss Fox is available for now on Amazon Prime. It's also very cheap on DVDs. Uh, the Apartment is available on YouTube movies um, to rent. Uh, the Sting is also available to rent, and they're around two to three pounds. Um, yeah, they're very cheap on YouTube. And most, most yeah, I, I usually am, am the same with most films that we talk about when I say like go and see it. But like really, with these ones, I can't recommend them enough. And and you know they're they're very sort of you know very crowd pleasing, yeah. very good, uncontroversially good yeah, films. I exactly. think you know. Very if you like good, films. good uh, eclectic cast of characters, you know these are these are your films. Yeah. Like, and again for especially different reasons. Like, like the apartment what, is yeah. such a nice bittersweet wholesome film. Because yeah, and go because I was partly worried about doing this episode of like oh these films are so like recognizably right. good. I'm not right. sure what I'll be able to add about these films. Exactly, and because because stuff is subjective. Yeah. Like even though like. Like, say if we were to do a film, bro, like, Pulp Fiction Dark Knight Fight Club, like, 
we can only really talk about it from our perspective because yeah we analyze these films but it's mainly a yeah. film discussion show where we keep things light and we debate certain things and yeah. pull up facts i think this is the closest yeah. we'll get to that sort of the that sort of dude bro but i think we've found a nice way around it and we've talked about things that you know, cover yeah. they just cover a nice yeah yeah found some exactly. interesting trivia um if you're an actor and you find yourself no, it's, injured, it's incorporate it into the film. It will make the film better character-wise. <laughs> Apparently. Um, yeah. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we hope you enjoy these films. Um, and yeah, uh, I, that's all I've got to say really today. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for Same listening here, to man. us. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap. What a roller coaster! Um, just dropping in another little disclaimer, um, <laughs> a little Easter egg, if you will. If if you guys have made it to the end of this episode, um, yeah, we tried our best to uh, to deal with the the muffling as best we can, but it, we just have to make do. Um, sadly, um, I'm recording this part on my my Mac. Um, yeah. Also, Joe, don't cut off my AP. I didn't realize I was doing that a lot this episode, so I apologize for that. Um, if you've made it to this part of this, of this uh, episode, send me the corn emoji through our Instagram DMs. I want to see how the engagement works. But yeah, have a good day and enjoy. Hope you enjoy this part. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. <laughs>